Welcome back to Inside Marketing Design, the show where we nerd out about brand and marketing design processes. I'm your host, Charlie Marie. I'm a creative director in tech, and I just have to say I learned so much from my conversation with today's guest. In this episode, I'm speaking with Michael Jeter about his work as creative director at Zapier. Particularly, we talked about their recent rebrand and some very surprising challenges that they faced with it. If you haven't heard of Zapier before, it's an automation platform that helps you to connect different apps to each other without having to like code a single thing. I use it to automate parts of my business as well as in my work at ConvertKit. And as a Zapier user, it was really cool to hear about the way that user research and the ways people use the product factored into the design decisions made during the rebrand. Michael, as you will see, is a fantastic storyteller and there were honestly times during this interview where I think I forgot I was interviewing and just genuinely was soaking up all the insights that he was sharing. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> he shared so many great takes on brand, on the business value of design, and of course the inside scoop on the rebrand project, like I mentioned before. But first though, I wanna give a huge shout out to another no-code tool that I use regularly in my process, Webflow. Webflow are once again the season sponsor of Inside Marketing Design and their support helps me produce these episodes just like they help designers and marketing teams all over the world to build and maintain a powerful marketing site without having to write any code. Sites on Webflow are all built in a really visual way, including the interactions and animations that you might wanna have on your site. This is one of my favorite parts of Webflow because although I can write basic HTML and CSS, Coding interactions is not in my skill set, and Webflow makes it very easy to add these touches to my site. There's helpful presets for content, like load in on the page, or you can create whatever animation you like on a timeline where you can see each step and control the timing and easing of all the things that are happening. Check it out for yourself and play around for free at insidemarketingdesign.com webflow. But now let's get into the episode and take a look inside marketing design at Zapier. Welcome to the show, Michael. Super excited to have you here, especially to dig in on the rebrand because, you know, this is a big new launch for Zapier and it's exciting to get the behind the scenes on it. But let's start by you telling us a little bit about what you're responsible for as creative director. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Charlie, for having me. I'm excited to, to talk about this. I've seen so many friends and former colleagues on this podcast kind of talking <laughs> about their work. So it's been, I, I feel included now, but it's, it's always Good. fun to watch people talk. <laughs> But yeah, the responsibilities of the creative director, generally kind of, you know, leading the Zapier's identity and ensuring that brand is consistent, differentiated, and, you know, most importantly, memorable. It's kind of the, the standard answer for a creative director. I think the, the kind of broad answer of responsibility is if it takes a story or it takes creative to kind of affect uh, a perception or a belief or a need from an audience or a user. Um, I'm generally involved in, in running kind of how that works. Um, and then I think on the kind of macro level, uh, responsible for building and, and leading a brand team that can really, you know, thrive in a company that needs a lot of brand creative. I really love that summary. I feel like I'm going to have to steal that when people ask me what I do as a creative <laughs> director in tech, because I think that you said it really well. <laughs> but tell me more about your team. So the team you lead is called Brand Studio, right, at, at Zapier? Yep. Yep. Brand Studio. So we have uh, a few levels of, of folks on there. So at, at the core level, we have our um, des design program managers or producers who can help keep all the everything moving forward and making sure that work is clear and whatnot. That's uh, I can't do it without my producer team. So um, I think if you don't have one out there, please uh, call me. Let me know. I can help you uh, sell the value of them. They're, they're everything. I actually um, literally might take you up on that because I currently don't have one and I'm really? playing role of producer sometimes. And so I need oh to like advocate for that. Oh my God. <laughs> well, we can go, we can go deep in that. I was, I was spoiled <laughs> deeply by the producer team at Dropbox and I'll never go back. Yeah. And so from there we have the kind of creative level, which, uh, I break up into uh, three different disciplines. So I have my brand designers, uh, which I have three of right now, and I'm about to hire a fourth on Friday, which I'm very excited about. Um, I have brand writing, and then we have design systems as well. So the design systems kind of owns all the components throughout the products and throughout web. And then I've kind of broken each of those pieces out in pillars from advertising, interactive, visual identity system, and there's one other one I'm missing right now. But yeah, kind of lines of business, if you will, for how brand can uh, affect kind of company goals. How many people is this then on the team? 
So right now we've got eight people, nine. We just, um, our brand writer just started on Monday and a new producer. And then I've just hired two managers uh, at the ACD level to join probably in October. So that'll be 11. Wow. Okay. That's a lot that your team is responsible for. Like I'm surprised to hear design systems to do with the product as, as part of this as well. Tell me more about the thinking behind that. I think either way, they're a bridge, kind of like brand strategists, you know, in, in some way there, there's a job to sit between marketing and brand design, also with design systems. Um, this is something that my my lead, Cheryl Sue, who's the VP of design, wanted to make happen when I kind of joined, which I thought was really smart because I think it kind of allows the design quality and the brand consistency to live in a central place so that that kind of user experience from the advertising moment to the product moment can be consistent. Uh, that's something we're working really hard, probably really moving on Q1 and next year to, to make that a really consistent experience. So the trust and that belief and the kind of value and the promise of the product is ever present. I love that. Yeah. Well, something else I was going to ask you is how you keep consistency between brand and product because there often is a divide. And so yes. you've so kind of like bought some product people over to the brand team to like keep the folks close. Correct. Uh, to Correct. make that happen. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, one of the big advantages of brand studios or brand teams being on the design team now, as opposed to on marketing where some, some folks are in some companies and they're kind of moving over. Um, I think it's all about that kind of consistency, both in, you know, the way that design is expressed and functions in a company, but I think also as the, the outward expression. And so, yeah, I mean, I think right now it's it's maybe a superficial level of brand, which is just type, color, you know, kind of a visual consistency. And I think over time, what we're trying to do is is build that consistency around story and emotion throughout the product as well. Oh, I love that. So how often do you get together as like a wider design org, I guess, at Zapier? Well, actually, in a couple of weeks, we're all about to meet in DC as a design org, as a uh, fully remote company. Um, as we're growing, I think before I joined and before COVID specifically, the company met as a whole twice a year. And now as we're getting bigger, it's harder to meet twice a year as an entire company. So we meet once a year as a company and then once a year as a team function. And so we'll be having our first T function ever in a month. So there'll be a great time for us to get in a room and do things that require a room and require vibes and kind of connection. Then other than that, we have, you know, like uh, quarterly wide team kind of meetings, like all hands. But yeah, Cheryl, the VP of design and insights, she also runs the insights and research and data teams as well. So we meet kind of as an entire org, both from the insights and design kind of perspective, which as we know, design without insights is really nothing. So it's, it's really it's just great pretty to have pictures. that connection. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a, like a, a shared crit session or anything like that? Is there a time when you're getting product designers are giving feedback on brand stuff and vice versa? Not yet. That's something we're we're kind of building out the the working relationship between the two. Um, I think, you know, as we'll get into, as we move on on the, on the rebrand and all of the fun stories and drama with that, um, the brand studio has really been what I call kind of like a wartime studio for since I've joined, which has just been like wholly focused on the rebrand. Um, and so building out that kind of cultural and work connections between the, the, the two is, has been something we haven't been able to, to dedicate time to yet. And it's, it's next on the list. Yeah, I mean, and you can't do everything at once, right? And rebrands are pretty <laughs> big thing. I would love to. to. If you have any tips about doing everything at once, that's I just would Oof. love to. <laughs> yeah, I'm still trying to figure that one out as well. But let's dive into the rebrand. Like, let's talk about it because um, I was already interested in this story just from seeing it from the outside, seeing the visual change and the like strategy change of Zafia with it. And then when you told me there was even more to it, it was like, <laughs> yeah, a little bit mind-blowing. So um, let's start at the beginning, I guess, with what Zapier is trying to achieve with a rebrand. Why was it time um, for a new brand? Uh, that's, that's the question. I think any company who wants to rebrand generally needs to have a perception gap between where they want to go and where they need to be as a business and where their customers currently kind of sit or, or allow them to be. And so that's kind of what I look for when I'm when I'm a part of a, a rebrand or joining a company who's asking for that. Um, because if it's just rebranding to rebrand's sake, it's it, it can get really rudderless. So I think Zapier has been around for a little over a decade. Um, it takes a long time to build a 
horizontal platform that connects 5,000 apps to and automates them in, in all the ways. And they've been mo- mostly focused on product for that time. So they really haven't had a brand team either on marketing, brand marketing, or as a brand studio. And so brand was just not a thing that the company really thought about, which is typical for a lot of tech companies, right? They believe in the product, the product sells itself, product market fit is everything you need. And then as you mature, everyone else wants to copy your genius. And then brand becomes really important because it's a competitive landscape. So I think that that's kind of as as the company is looking to build its next steps and kind of really up level um, at every way it can show up for its users and show up for how we work and how automation changes the way we work. That story was lost, I think, uh, or not non-existent. And so there's kind of time to be able to build that story both for the company internally, how we talk about it ourselves so we can align on what we're building and why, but also make it really easy. I think it was really hard for our users to say what we do, right? If you got it, you got it. But then you try to share that with a friend. They're like, no, what? Why do I need this? You're like, what connects? It feels really techy, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so um, making that a lot more approachable and easy for for everyone to kind of share, because it really is life-changing. If if you get into and learn how to automate a lot of the stuff uh, of, of your work, um, it can be, you're just like, why, why, why haven't I done this? Like, where has this been all my life? Um, and so that, that share of joy was a really interesting part of, of how we wanted to build the brand. Wow, I love that. So that definitely sounds like there was a, like, maybe not a change in brand strategy behind this, but like a confirmation of one or like a putting one in place and being really thoughtful about it and being purposeful. Uh, it wasn't just that you needed a new logo. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of the classic thing we say about brand, right? Where your, your your brand is really what is in the mind of your users. It's what they say behind your back when you're not there, like that, that whole idea. And it's been a great experience for me to see that be true for a company who didn't invest in telling its own brand story. And it's just truly only being owned by the users. And so like you go on a Twitter and you search Zapier and you see what people are saying. They have created and um, are explaining the brand in a lot of ways. So they they say, you know, it makes me feel like a wizard because of this or a superhero, you know, like these big emotive moments that people are just like shouting out on the internet about how Zapier makes them feel. That's unusual, I think, for a product a lot of times. People are like, oh, it helps do this or it connects this or solve this problem. But people are like emoting in these crazy ways. And so it was really interesting to say when I joined the company to look at that brand existing on its own out in culture. And then the company just kind of letting that happen in the way that was organic was was really special. So do you feel like um, when you came in to like kick off this rebrand project, you were really like, okay, how do we enhance what people are already saying? Because they're saying all these cool things, feeling like a wizard, feeling like a superhero, let's lean into this. Yeah. Yeah. I think a couple things. I wasn't even um, fully aware of kind of the no code revolution as people are kind of talking about it in a lot of ways, um, a little bit here and there. Um, but as I started talking to Zapier about this role and, and the rebrand and the needs there, and I started kind of diving in, I started realizing that there was a whole cultural movement around this where it was just completely going to change the way we work and build things. And, you know, it's it was was really transformative. And so, yeah, when coming in, it was kind of just connecting, connecting those dots of just like, okay, what is the company? What is our story? Right? Like, and, and how does that connect to how people are experiencing us? And how do I unify those? So how did this project kick off then when you joined and when you got into it? Tell us about the Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> rebrands. It's super fun. I think maybe taking a step back, working on the rebrand um, and a big refresh at, at Dropbox, I, I feel like which was my role before Zapier, I learned, I kind of joke that that was my PhD in, in branding. And I, and I learned a lot from that process, like both big successes and big mistakes and working with some of the best brand strategists in the business, some of the best writers, voice and tone creators, you know, designers. And so what I learned through all of that is that there's a lot of junk information that a company carries around. They just, these beliefs, like there's this kind of, this, this story I tell a lot that I love. Um, there's this like this research uh, story where people come into a, like a dentist office, like a waiting room, right? And there's first starts out with an actor and then a, just a, a person, right? And they click a ding and then the actor stands up when the ding happens, doesn't say anything. The other person generally tends to stand up as well. And then that ding happens again and they sit down. Long story short, because I'll save all our listeners the, the, the whole story. But basically, at the end of the study, there's 15 people in the room. None of them are actors. None of them have been told to stand up or sit down when it dings. And they're all doing it together. 
because of this kind of cultural impression that you just want to go along to get along or be a part of the herd or whatever. And I think that that's basically every company. <laughs> and you hear some piece of information somewhere and you carry it on and you tell someone else like it's the God's honest truth and you think it is. And then we have all these weird beliefs that aren't really connected to, to deeper insights. So um, that was kind of in that process of like really understanding what the truth is and what the information is. I, I learned that to be kind of everything from a strategic, strategic side in, in my prior work. And that was the first thing I did when I hit Zapier. I was I hit the ground as a journalist, as an interviewer, as a documentarian, right? I have this epic Coda doc that just has every interview with every exec, every piece of information and research I could pull together. Um, and I just, you know, put together the, the Encyclopedia Britannica of, of Zapier. And then the next step that's really important for me, because that's, again, really hard to use, right? You can't create clarity with that information. So for each main pillar, I created an insight or, or just a single sentence from each thing, right? So it could be what the users hope we are, or what they think we are, or what our background is, or what our origin story is, or whatever those big kind of topics are. I would put it with a single line, and then I would give that to the execs and to people in research and have them react. And so instead of like reading the whole doc and be like, yep, that's all the information, I condensed it into a single thing that might be a little tricky to say yes to, right? To, to condense this down to one. And then from there, have people really push and put feedback on that. So I think by the time we hit the ground on the strategy and design, I had already created a lot of clarity for folks around what is and what isn't, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, I love that. That's the thing when you join a company. Um, I always encourage everyone who joins ConvertKit to look out for these things when they're new and you spot mm. the the red cords, right? That story of the the office and there's a this red cord running across the corridor that everyone just steps over and then someone new joins and is like, why is this here? Like, what's this doing? And everyone who's always been there is like, well, we just... I don't know. It's always been there. We just step over it. Um, so when you're new, you can spot those red cords <laughs> and call them out. And I love that that was a part of this rebrand process. And that yeah, honestly I mean, probably made it stronger, the fact that you came in with that journalistic uh, view on it. Yeah, you you don't want to waste the gift of the beginner's mind, for sure. Right. Like you just, when you get to join a new company, you that is your gift, I think, as a new employee, is having that beginner's mind. Because so many people are just attached to those stories and things and those beliefs. And so, yeah, I think a lot of people try to integrate quickly um, to be a part of the company. And I think Stand as, as a designer, at least, yeah, <laughs> this is a designer is the worst thing you can do. Like question everything, be a little annoying. It's okay. It's, um, I think it's part of the process. That's good advice. That's good advice. Okay. So what happened next then once you distilled and like figured out the strategy and there was clarity over that, um, how did the, the design process go for figuring out the visuals? Yeah, so we initially um, worked with Instrument to, to kick off the, the the brand process. So they worked both on the kind of distilling all of that content into the brand strategy and brand story, and then worked on the, the visual identity system as well. Um, one of the things I love about working with Instrument, I, I actually worked with them for all five years at Dropbox, um, is that together we kind of pioneered this way of working as one team. I think a lot of agencies have a real hard time coming in, taking the brief, going away, coming back. And it just, there's too much knowledge that's inside of the company that they just don't know of. And they're always getting it kind of off and a little wrong. So Instrument's really good about this like egoless approach to design where we all just sit in a room together, virtually, of course, at this point in Figma and whatnot, but like it's one, one team, one dream. So I co-work with their executive creative director, Jack DeCalloway. And so him and I lead together. And then my team is his team and his team is my team in that way that we kind of work. Um, I let him generally kind of disseminate information and feedback and direction. So there's not weird kind of unbalance and lack of clarity. But ultimately, uh, we're one team. And so we get that kind of lovely part of the information of being in-house and knowing the politics and the people and the, you know, the live wires and the third rails, all kind of stuff. Um, and then that kind of, again, that beginner's mind and that kind of expertise of of one that creates brands for lots of people um, as a role. So I feel like that contrast and that duality is is a really beautiful marriage. Yeah. And that was something that obviously it sounds like you knew going into it that this can happen with agencies, that if things are too separate, things don't go so well, and oh, that man. you could use use the tools that we have available to us to get past that. 
So many stories of, of wasted work and, and missed opportunities when, when you don't collaborate. Okay, so you were working with Instrument on the, the initial process of generating ideas and, and you know, initial designs for this new visual brand. Yeah. So yeah. So we built out a really strong foundation with their strategist Avi, getting that like really, really solid. Right. What are we? What aren't we? What are we doing for our customers? Like really pulling in that that concept I said before about what people are saying out in the world. Like that really pulling in that cultural element as the core piece of our strategy. And then from there, like starting to build the story and the and the visual identity system possible possibilities at the same time. Right. So like standard stuff of, you know, if you were a person, who would you be? What's your voice? Like, you know, the the kind of um, general ways to approach rebrands and then coming up with, you know, as five to six, seven even directions and kind of willing them down and, and getting feedback. So pretty, pretty standard there. And we settled on a really interesting visual identity system that was completely surrounded around this big, bold, we call it a chonky Z. This is really <laughs> big, chonky Z that was kind of had some electric bolt kind of stuff in it. Um, a beautiful piece that could really turn the eye and kind of use color and also embody inside of it, you know, images of, of uh, users or, you know, whatever we want to kind of tell the story. It was kind of a framework. Yeah. And then, and then things changed. Then, so I don't, I don't yeah. know. Are we, are we ready to go to the, to the, to let's the big go there. reveal? Let's, let's tell us what happened next. So you had this brand that everyone yeah, loved so and you felt like it yeah, fit the strategy well? Yeah, we, we, we got the viz done with, with instrument. And then for the next, you know, I think maybe three or four months, we uh, internally, uh, instrument went away and, and worked on some other cool shit uh, on their own. Um, and our team worked on just kind of executing the, the viz, right? So got a guideline from instrument. And then from there, it's like, what do you do? What does that look like on social? What does that look on web? Yeah. All, you know, all, Let's apply things, right? it all the places. <laughs> so we applied it all the places for many, many months. Uh, we worked so, so hard. My team, just did amazing work and really showed up. Um, and then we were done. We was it was code was was done on all the web. All the pieces and templates were given to everyone. Was ready to click launch on March 26th, which was two days after my birthday. So it was gonna be perfect. It's gonna be a big birthday gift to me. I was gonna go on vacation. I was it was very very excited. And about two weeks uh, before launch, and again completely done code shipped everything uh we start to see that the the pro putin um military started using the z as their symbol uh for the ukrainian war <laughs> oh and man it, it was crazy and at first it was just kind of the first news story um and cheryl sends it to me and she's like should we be worried about this you know and your first reaction is always like nah it's just it's just you know, assholes being assholes, using a Z. Yeah, it's no one's going to think that we're anything to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the news just kept coming out. And then, you know, uh, influencers in Russia started wearing the Z on shirts to show their support for the Ukrainian war. There was a, a Olympic swimmer or runner or something. I forget exactly who he was, who wore a big Z, you know, after, you know, winning. It just kept going. So we started to ask the hard questions and, and can we really, really do this? So um, it was great. I was able to reach out to my to my network um, and through that network actually reached out to, to Debbie Millman, the great, the one and the only. And she was just like, you have no choice. Symbols matter. They have power. That's our whole existence as designers. And if you launch into culture with a Z that's currently being used as an oppressive symbol, you've messed up pretty deeply. <laughs> I, I, I felt that. I felt that deeply. So for from our side, from the brand side, we were, we were really, really confident that the change needed to happen. Um, but the real change moment for our CEO and for leadership was we were about to have our first um, company all hands, our company get together, like after, you know, from COVID, been a couple of years. And he goes, what's going to happen if everyone shows up in the airport wearing giant Z's on their chest and there's like hundreds of people like, w like what's that going to look like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that just for everyone was like, oh yeah, I can't, we can't do that. So we killed it. We killed the Z and it was hard. Uh, I think I really respect leadership for taking the hard decision based on values and based in really showing up for, for people and kind of understanding the value of that. Um, that's kind of the silver lining is how often do you as a designer get to work with your leadership and them have to feel what it takes to make a decision based on design, right? Like they now know the cultural significance of a symbol and a visual thing that was made and designed. That's just not something that leaders get to feel and own very often. Um, and so it's, it's a weird silver lining gift in, in this process. 
but yeah, so we, you know, they don't understand design quite well. So they're just like, kill the Z. The rest, we'll keep the rest, come up with a new symbol. It's like, not quite how it works. Um, and luckily, you know, they had been a whole part of the whole process before. So they they understood that that we knew what we were doing and, and trusted us in that and said, okay, like, what do you need, right? And so you can keep the typeface, right? It was, well, we picked the typeface to counterbalance with the Z, right? They, it all works together, right? And so you're either going to, make me have to make a mark that works with that typeface, which I don't know what mark I'm going to come up with in the first place, right? And so that limits me to my possibilities. And so we, I really was able to talk to them and say, can you just completely give me a blank canvas again? I won't waste money or time or like, I'll be responsible, but I need a blank canvas to be able to fix this problem. So I asked them for three weeks to come up with a new viz. I said, I can't guarantee it, but I think we can nail it in three weeks. And they said, cool, let's, let's see what we can do. So we hit the ground running from there. Wow. Okay. So tell me if this is how it felt for you. I can imagine that if I was in your shoes, having the conversation with Debbie Milliman and just hearing her say, like, look, this is, there is no choice here. You, you know what you need to do. Was that some sort of like relief in hearing from a peer? Okay. Yes, I can and should make the decision that in my heart I want to make, but I'm worried about it for all the business reasons and all that. <laughs> like it's, I don't know. Was that some nice reassurance? Yeah, to, to be clear, I didn't I didn't get to talk to Debbie directly about it. A friend of mine, Dee Dee Gordon, who is who is a brand strategist extraordinaire, worked with her at, at uh, in, in the past and reached out as like, hey, my friend of mine is is dealing with this, and she she wrote back the answer. But I think through that same to answer your question, I, I had that same conversation with you know a, a bunch of brand strategists that I knew and and creative directors and be like, you know, what what would you do? And what was really reassuring was not only the answer but the process. So each person goes, it's the same thing every time. And it's exactly what I did. It's probably fine, right? Like, it's probably not going to be a thing. Your Z is so different than their Z. Like, I wouldn't worry about it, right? And then you start asking questions. Well, what about this? Or what about this? Or this thing? Like the airport with all the people in t-shirts. Exactly. (laughs) And you watch each person go, shit, yeah, you got to change it. You know, And and it was fun to watch that be kind of, no matter who it was, go through that process of like, ah, it's fine to know this, this matters. Um, and I think that was the most reassuring, both for me, but also to communicate to the company about the process to make the the change. And even for my team, right, who I think it was probably the most devastating for, to, to understand like how much we put into thinking and how much the kind of world of design supported the thinking behind this and the why behind this. So I, I think that really mattered. It gave the why for us, which, you know, if you don't have the why, then what are we really doing? So that that was super helpful. How long had the process been on this, the chonky Z, which is just what I'm going to call the initial <laughs> brand? Because <laughs> you said three weeks, right? To design the viz that ended up going live with. Yeah. Three, um, three how long had been the... spent before that? Yeah, it was about, I, I can't remember exactly on creating the viz. I think it was three or four months um, yep. to so create the viz. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. And then I think it was about three or four months. There's like eight or nine months total. So for actual execution and defining the system beyond the, the guidelines. Yeah. And you've ended up with something that looks amazing. Uh, in you. that three weeks, right? Like it's yeah. it's a great brand. I wrote about it in my newsletter, the Marketing Design Dispatch. Did a little overview of it. Um, how would you describe it though? Then the brand that you ended up with, what what Zapier is now. I think I would describe it as distilled, which is for me as a creative been always the, the holy grail for me. I'm terrible at distilling. I'm I'm the the maximalist. I I'm, I want to just like wow you with creative and interesting things. Yeah, same. Um, Check out my gallery wall. I'm the same. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Look how I'm dressed. And so um, so it was really one of those moments where where when you boil it down to to nothing, basically, like that that pure nothing that I was almost like, is this the dumbest thing I've ever made or the best? Right. And that kind of question is, was so interesting to me. Um, and so I, I would describe the Viz itself as a platform for storytelling, which in general, as a philosophy for brand, I think that's what a brand needs to be, right? Is, is, a, is a platform for storytelling, both for your users and for your company. But it, it that word platform kept coming up over and over again. Our tool is a platform. You know, our company is a platform. The way that people use our tool, they use it as a platform to make things and create new things or platforms for other things to happen. So this word kept coming up over and over and over again. 
And it was weird that we had never really discussed the concept of platform as a as a graphic element. It was always about kind of connecting or, you know, automation or these really hard to kind of talk about concepts graphically and visually. And so, yeah, we got that, that kind of aha moment where I was like building out the system where I kind of have images or storytelling and kind of putting this orange bar below. It could be this platform and showcasing. I was like, is the bar, is that the logo, right? And how much are going to people hate me for making a bar an underscore for a logo? You know, it's, it's, it's terrifying. It's terrifying to simplify something at that, that level. But I think it's expression is what really people are getting excited about that, that anything can live above it. So as a brand, we can always be fresh. We can always be interesting. We can always be pivoting with the company and the culture. We can compete with cat videos on TikTok. We can, you know, you can always make something that's going to be engaging and interesting and informative and always be on brand and recognizable because the platform is the supporting kind of kind of concept. So that's not the simplest way to describe it, but that's kind of the process of how I yeah. how we kind of got there to that answer. And was there any parts of the previous viz that did end up being used? Like, did the typeface stay in the end or did it go to a new one? <laughs> typeface did not stay. Um, okay. <laughs> we were originally using um, Geograph, which is a, a beautiful face. Um and which was originally created for National Geographic. And as we were kind of pushing, we needed to find some contrast to the absolute simplicity um, that was a platform, a rectangle that was orange. Um, and so we explored everything and kind of started creating these, these um, well, I'm losing the word, but, you know, uh, it's like from simple to complex and everything in between. Ah. Is scale. Is it a scale? scale. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> and and just kind of put every option of type on there from expressive, the most expressive to the most simple and most kind of Swiss, right? Like, and so the Swiss worked so perfectly with the 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 rectangle, but it lost all personality and all interest. It kind of just would wash back in, in the work. Um, and the things were super expressive, created too much contrast and too much kind of vibrancy with with the platform and so that's when i landed on um james edmondson's typeface um degular and he literally created that typeface to to kind of be the counterbalance to tech um typefaces it's it doesn't have to be so geometric and so bland it could be a workhorse but still be quite expressive and beautiful so even in his intention of that typeface, it landed so perfectly as that balance of both having interest in character, um, but also being able to be kind of Helvetica-esque workhorse um, that that's kind of needed to, to scale over um, systems for, for companies. And then he did kind of a custom cut of it for us for the actual oh, logo sweet. type. Yeah, because you're right. You need something that isn't going to compete with whatever you're going to put on the platform. Because by itself, when there's nothing else like sitting on it, the the orange rectangle, like, yeah, that can handle an expressive typeface next to it. But yeah. you start putting in your wizard imagery in there, you know, then you need <laughs> something plainer. <laughs> and it's the Wild West. And, you know, brands don't really succeed well in the Wild West. So putting parameters <laughs> around that was was helpful. Yes, that makes sense. Was the process for the, the viz you ended up with, was it kind of similar to what you worked on with Instrument, but just obviously... <laughs> much sped up in a much more compressed <laughs> time frame? Or was there any differences in the approach you took? I would say the answer is both. Um, okay. So the parts that were s the same and similar were, you know, the great viz and, and story that that we created with them. We, we kept that, right? That was strong. Um, and so we didn't have to kind of reinvent that at all. We, we knew what we needed to say and why. And then we just needed to find the expression of that visually, which was great. The brand guidelines that they had supplied to us, the actual like Figma to file with all the designs and the voice and all of that was already done. It just needed to be replaced with new words or new images or new colors. So we had that kind of like structure. We didn't have to like spend the time to build that out, which was really helpful. And so we knew like, cool, if we refill this brand guideline with new information, that's what we'll deliver. So it was really clear for the team to just be like, well, this slide needs to be updated and this and this kind of as we kind of came up with the the process. But the part that was different was my team was completely burned out, just dead, right? Like we were running a marathon at sprint's pace for months and months and months. We were just, we were done. And so it was really hard for me as a leader to be like, okay, we're going to do this in three weeks, which is insane. No one should do this in three weeks. Like that's why did I say yes to this? This is this is on me, right? This is this truly as a leader, this is on me that I said yes to this and that I that I said we can succeed. And so I had to kind of figure out how do I let 
the designers or or invite the designers to participate in a way that was super helpful and generative, but without causing harm, like emotionally or for like, you know, health and balance, because, it, you know, we, we truly were so burnt. So to just give a bunch of work and say, this is due in three weeks and we'll kind of process it, you know, like I was afraid that they were going to be working nights and weekends. And it just, I just, that wasn't okay at that point. But that was okay for me. That was a choice that I got to make for myself. And so the way that we ended up um, running the process was just I kind of like liken it to animation where there's like two, there's two different ways to animate, right? There's like you, your frame at, 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 at frame one and frame 24, and then you make everything in between. Or there's straight ahead where you go frame one and then frame two and then frame three. And each frame leads to the next frame, right? That's how, how Aladdin was created. So we went a frame ahead for the process. So each day was kind of like, we're just going to design what we can design. We're going to iterate and push. And at the end of each day, I took everything that we did. I moved forward the stuff that was the most interesting and I kind of wrote about it. And so in that writing, I both understood what was and wasn't working. I presented that in Slack every day for the leadership to also see, because I was like, I'm not going to be able to come to you three times with directions. We're moving so quickly. I need to know what is and isn't working kind of immediately. And so that, that's the kind of the way we worked. So it worked completely transparently in Figma wrote those write-ups transparently in Slack each day. And then where designers had time or energy where they weren't working on other things or in meetings, they were able to come in and kind of push. And so they were able to see my write-up, see what was kind of working, if they had a great idea, if they hated all of it, which was, you know, happened a lot because it was insane. Um, Especially in the early phases. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Then they go, oh, I can beat this. And so I think that that kind of expression of being able to come in drop a few genius ideas and then leave and not have to like follow it through um, was a really interesting way to work. Uh, I wouldn't say it works all the time, but that was kind of the only way that we were able to to generate as many ideas as possible because we had an impossible task to, to refigure this out um, and it needed that much iteration, but also not burn, burn any out. So it was, it worked. It was a fascinating experiment that me and our head of design programs, Megan Yip kind of like, I think this is the only way we can we can move forward. And so we kind of built out that process um, moving forward. Yeah, you were inviting everyone who wanted to to collaborate, but not obliging them to so that they'd feel like, okay, well, now I've got to put in the nights and weekends too because that's 100%. what Michael's doing. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. no expectation. And, yeah. and then also another thing that was really interesting, again, you know, generosity, I think, is a, is a, is a theme throughout this, this whole process and, and even in the, the brand itself. But instrument you know, we worked with them for months. I mean, it's devastating for them too to lose that work. Um, and and they're good friends of mine. And so it was really interesting to approach them like, all right, this is happening. This is wild. You know, uh, what do we do? I would obviously love to work with you again, but I've got three weeks and you're booked out for, you know, how who knows how long. And so the, yes, we're booked out. We can't help. But we're between projects in a few places and a few different teams. What I can do is maybe make a two-day sprint where these designers that are between projects could come in and just make stuff for you and we can make a brief. And so that was really nice and really generous of them. They, they did that with generosity and was just like, here's a Figma file. We don't know if any of it's right or good or whatever, but here were six designers who just really wanted to come up and, and kind of give the middle finger to Putin by helping out with uh, with this rebrand. So so yeah, it was it was a really good galvanizing kind of community moment for designers, both internally and, and, and externally. Yeah, and obviously you were building on the relationships that you'd set up through the collaboration initially, right? Of like treating it as all one team working together. 100%. Yeah. yeah. How did you handle the emotional impact of it, I guess? Because I know that as you've been working through this rebound process, your team and the rest of the company as well must have been getting really attached to the brand and like feeling really proud of it, really excited of this new viz that was going to come out. How did you handle getting them to love the new viz, the one that, you know, is Zapier's brand now? Yeah, the, the re-rebrand is what we're calling it. The re-rebrand, um, okay, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a great question. I, I think it's funny because you... We spent so much time and effort to bring the company along with the first fizz. Like that's an, another thing I learned in the past, right? Is is if you go off on your own and then you do it and then you just say, "Here it is." Like it's just it's tough for people. Um, so we did a lot of work presenting the work as it was being built. I presented the even the brief that that we that we launched the project with with Instrument to the whole company. I walked them through the whole brief, so I kind of led them along the entire creative process. Um, and and 
So we did a lot to, to make sure they loved the work or at least understood and respected it. So we didn't have time to do that with a new one. And so I think it's a really interesting question. So I think the company is everyone's just so nice here and the culture is, is really understanding. And so I think the empathy that that was required from the company for a team, if they imagine themselves going through this project and all get scrapped and having to come up with something new, you know, like out of the blue. Um, I think we got a lot of empathy from the company. And so they understood the challenge, which was great. I think secondly, and this is an interesting kind of thing. I was actually talking to Instrument about this, but the, the process of rebrand, a lot of people talk about they learned what the rebrand should have been after they got done with the rebrand, right? Because you learn so much in the process. It's hard to both learn and be great at the same time, right? So this company had never gone through that process. Everyone's learning what that was. So it's hard to both be a teacher and an educator and also kill it as a as a designer, right? And so I think the fact that the company had gone through the process and everything meant that they trusted us and that they knew that we had gone through it. We had done it before. We'll, we'll do it again. And so when we presented the work, I kind of did the same thing. It was completely transparent, like I said before. So I put together decks to present the, what, what was possible and, and what I was pushing forward. And that was just public. So they kind of watched me do it and the team do it while, while we're doing it. But again, I was scared um, because the Z was this like rock star thing. It was like this thing that you could look at and be like, that's our symbol and that stands out. So to go the exact opposite <laughs> was was terrifying. Um, but I think people really loved the story behind it, right? It was all about everyone's so humble at Zapier. And I think as a product, we're so humble that like we're nothing without what people do on the products and what, what people do on the platform. Like we're just, we're just literally a thing that connects things and automates them in really cool ways. The tool's cool, but it's nothing without the creativity of how people use it. So I think once they saw that story and that's what we were doing, we were, we were giving voice to their creativity and the things that they were able to do on top of the platform. And the platform was just supporting, was just a piece that was about the possibilities that story resonated with them, but that story also came from the research and kind of talking to them, right? That's I knew that that's the story that the company needed to hear because that's what they already believed the brand was. And so making sure that the Viz connected that story directly, it wasn't like a stretch. It wasn't like a hand wavy thing. It was just a one-to-one -one moment of like, this is what it means. And this is what you told me the brand means. And so this is ours. And so I people really saw that and, and saw the work that was put in to, to be honest and I think authentic to, to what they feel like the company was. Yeah, I love that. And I think that honestly, like just anyone listening to this episode is going to learn a lot about storytelling from you in general, because I feel like you're a really <laughs> good storyteller and that comes Thank in you. handy Thank in you. our jobs and internal communications and everything. Something that I noticed because, uh, you know me, as soon as a rebrand launches, there's, an, there's new visualizations. I'm like, wait, I want to compare it to the old one. And I went back <laughs> in, you know, our good old internet archive and looked at the Zapier homepage like two weeks before the, mm. the new, new rebrand came out. And I was like, wait, this homepage looks pretty similar. Mm. Um, so the homepage was ready before the new branding visualization was, right? Because yep. of the, the process that you've been going through. Tell me more about the, the redesign of the homepage and that decision. Okay. Well, A, I love it. I love that curiosity. <laughs> um, I think that's what makes this podcast so fantastic. Um, yeah, that's a story I skipped over. So, <laughs> so one of the things that we decided to do, the only way that we were able to relaunch a new visual identity system and the speed that we needed to do, right? Three weeks to even come up with it. And then I think it was like two and a half months to launch. The company had been held back for so long to advance on some of its things that it needed to do because it was waiting for the rebrand, right? So there was just so many things being like, once the rebrand happens, once the rebrand happens, right? From marketing, from, you know, from Inge, from whatever it was. So one of the, the more creative, I think, organizational or political decisions we made to, to move forward is just launch it as a, as a design refresh, the code was already done. It's already there. All we had to do Just is remove pull the out chunky the, Z. Yep. <laughs> remove the chunky Z, remove the typeface, um, and just keep everything else the way it is and just launch with it. Now, the chunky Z was so arresting visually that a lot of the site falls apart without of it. And I think right now there's a lot of work we need to do to, to really make that homepage what it needs to be. And that's that's coming up. But it was clear the story and the work that that Candice, our, our brand writer, had done and worked on there to to make sure that it was clear about you know what their story is and what the product is. We just couldn't not ship that um, because it was so much clearer of a story than what we had before. 
And we kind of worked, you know, the, the site before had a, a full sign up form above the folds, like the classic, like it was like, you know, 10 years ago website or whatever uh, for, for growth. And so really working on getting a site that doesn't have that form, has more storytelling or whatever was kind of there. So that's the site we designed for the old, the old brand, the homepage is now. Um, thankfully, it's performing swimmingly and, and that's wonderful. But yeah, it, it doesn't embody the real possibility and potential of, of the viz as we currently have it. And so something we'll need to go back. But as anyone knows who works on websites, you, you don't want to just change all the time, especially the homepage. And so how we approach that, we're going to, we're going to be really careful on how we're you know, changing and moving a site that's already performing quite well for the company and doing it in a way that helps it perform even, even better, but also gaining that kind of possibility of the, of the viz that it truly can. That's really interesting to hear as well and like fantastic that the new homepage is performing so well because when you talk about, okay, we're going to remove this like really obvious visual call to action, there's a form right there on the page, you can just click right there and sign up. Was that a hard sell or like how did you go about making that decision and, and getting buy-in on it to, to pull the form off the homepage? It was an incredibly hard, hard sell. But I have to give credit to leadership in, in the company again. Like most companies have a little bit of PTSD for, for trying things. You, you go to your new job and you bring your baggage, right? You're trying to solve things that you couldn't solve at your other jobs. We, we, all, we all bring that. And so oh, yeah, we one, one of the pieces <laughs> of baggage that they had is they, they had tried to remove it before and it, and it didn't perform. They, they brought it back. But once I started again, like talking before, there's a lot of these like pieces of information that that kind of get sent around that aren't actually true. Like they're, they're not lies or they're fake, but like there's not the real truth in there. So I started talking to that team that worked on it uh, on the, the growth side and realizing that like signups might have decreased, but activations, the things that really mattered didn't. And, and in fact, they, they increased a little bit. And so you started to kind of get some insight on how the behavior of folks were acting on a, on a site when there's a sign up form like that and how it's just if it's so easy to get in the product and try it, they might not actually be people who are there to Zapier users. And so we started to kind of understand that and working with products, working with Moody, the CMO and, and marketing and kind of just, you know, they bared with me for, for a while as I just kept saying, can we do this in another way? Or can we do this in a different way? Like I just, I guess maybe I'm vain. I just couldn't have a website that just had this big form on it. It felt so like old and not like the future you know, the, no, no websites really have that anymore on their homepage. Like, so it feels like the past and the brand for me was all about the future, right? It was all about what we can do and the possibilities that happen when you can use no code automation. And so it was, I just was really stuck on that, right? I just can't have a site. We can't launch a brand in this a moment and just immediately right when people go to the website, they go, oh, old thinking, right? Yeah. Oh, form. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, they, they really heard me out and we really worked together to figure out what can do. And, and ultimately we, we changed like how, what we cared about, what we measured and what really made an impact on the business. And so um, ultimately that's the, the number of signups was less important because that was noise. And what was really important was the activations. So we kind of adjusted how we measured that and then built that page to be more akin to that measurement. And then of course we excitedly launched it and watched and were terrified to to say, you know, as designers, like I fought so hard to have this thing this way and and then you just hope it performs. And so so far so good. That's awesome. And yeah, I mean the new homepage just fits so much better with what I've heard from you about the the brand strategy. Like that you're leading with a picture of a Zapier user. And yeah. if the point is to be a platform for other people and their ideas, then yeah, picture of a user fits much better than form. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and what I'm excited about it's what's funny because those those photos were shot for the old Viz too. Okay, um, they were shot by a photographer Ab Aubrey Trinaman, uh, who's an old friend and just fantastic person and photographer. And so she did these kind of like heroic portraits of folks, and then also these kind of like in situ and in, in office pieces. And so what what I loved about the not throwing that away and with the new Viz is that so lovely set upon the platform as well. And so again, it could be this platform for telling users stories and also what they can do and so in the same breath you can have a picture of a user and this cool animation about how th they feel like a wizard and it feels similar and the same and all part of the same story as opposed to this like weird disjointed like why is there a wizard over here and a picture of a person over here it all kind of put together in a, in a, a very dynamic story and so i feel really really proud of that 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 photography and that approach to users now feels collectively additive as opposed to kind of like a, a secondary piece that it could that it yeah. could have been so do you launch with this new homepage? You just launched it straight away. It was a new version. You didn't do an A-B test um, with the old version to like test the waters first? We, let's see, so long ago, because we launched that in 
first of April. So after we learned, like we launched it when we were going to launch the last rebrand. We didn't A-B test. I think what we did was that the folks who were kind of in charge of, of testing and building that out built out a, a plan. So we didn't have time, actually, now I'm remembering correctly, we didn't have time or engineering resources to build out a good A-B test in, in a way that like really, um, it just wasn't available to us in that way. And so what we did then was build more of a like, um, instead of a fall back plan, a fall forward plan, they were calling it, which I loved. Again, great story, great branding. And it was all about, let's set the base of where we think we want to be as a company, as a site, measure it and see what's happening, and then iterate quickly to a place that kind of fixes any issues that we might see. And so I think our director of product design, Zach Walsh, and, and, a, and, a, and a product person, Kate, kind of came up with that approach and pitched it and it got approved. So it was, it was a new way for me of thinking about how to how to kind of test and, and get to success. Um, but it worked. It was, it was fantastic. And so how much iteration did happen after launch? How much has the homepage been iterated on uh, since April? Zero. Zero. Because it hit the goal yeah. straight away. Amazing. <laughs> I think I think it's uh, it has a lot of juice to squeeze out of it to, to optimize for sure. And any site does. Um, so it's it's not that it, we, we nailed it. Um, I think there's a lot more we can do. It's just that we were focusing on a re-rebrand. You know? yeah. So yeah. And like we said before, uh, you can't do everything at once. <laughs> you can't do everything at once. And and so, you know, there's only so many engineers at any company. And so it's um because it was doing well, it wasn't it wasn't bleeding, right? So it we were able to deprioritize that because it was doing what it needed to for the company and the business. Um, and then we'll be able to get there again when when we can kind of move with intention again, as opposed to just iterating towards clicks. It makes a lot of sense. What I'm hearing from you, especially in this this story of advocating for taking the form off the homepage, is a strong connection to data and like understanding of the business strategy and impact of design too. I'd really love to hear your thoughts on how you instill that type of thinking in your team, because I think it's um, honestly something that can hold designers back sometimes is being afraid of the data and of like business strategy. They just want to focus on the pixels. But yeah. we know that the that side of things is important too. Yeah, it's a good question. I think as far as the team is concerned, in, in quality bar on design and impact are are said in the same breath for, for me. I, I feel like as designers, we have proved that proven out and continue to prove out that great design actually is is great business, right? So you don't have to separate those two as concepts. I think a lot of designers feel like they're making bad design decisions based on data. And so really understanding what the data is telling and, and kind of working that into strategy to build insights um, is really, really important, right? So you don't give data to a designer and say, adjust to this, right? You, you build the story. The data is telling us this insight. And we work with our brand strategists here and or if, if they're, they can't work on a specific brief, that's kind of what I'll focus on is kind of painting the picture of what's possible creatively. So it's all about giving people what they need in their language um, and making sure it's, you know, mathematically correct throughout the whole piece. So the story we're telling creatively maps to everyone's understanding of the data and then also kind of setting that to with, with the brief itself, right? Like what are we going to measure? What's we always attach it to like we're trying to solve a problem. If we solve a problem correctly, the data will just follow, right? And if we fail, we'll learn from that data and, and we learn that we didn't solve the problem correctly. But I, don't, I feel like people don't intertwine them in a helpful way. It's they're kind of separate things where it's just like, I'm an artist. I don't like math. You know, like it's this kind of weird thing. Um, but really, we're problem solvers. So I think first and foremost for what I tell the team is, is like, I think that your joy as a creative, especially in-house, has to come from the act and the process of problem solving. So often your work will get killed or changed or think like the actual design part, like you, that's not where you can find your joy. And at least for me, I've had to find it in just like all, design is problem solving, even if it's a political thing or an organizational thing or a creative thing, that's the process. And so starting there and understanding the problem is, is really how I help them kind of connect. And I'm always reminded of this, this Buckminster Fuller quote. Um, he says, when I'm working on a problem, I never think about beauty. But when I finish, if it's not, if the solution's not beautiful, then I know it's not right. And I think that that kind of approach to me, like I have that quote, like on my computer every day, so often designers are thought of as frivolous or about beauty or design or just being cool for cool sake. Um, and I really love that process of like, we're not thinking about making something beautiful. We're thinking about making something that works. But if it's not beautiful, clearly we didn't do our job. And I, I think that that's a really more inspiring way to think about data and, and, and kind of measurement. It's definitely a, like a 
I mean, like you said, you put things in the language that designers can connect with and understand. And that is much more inspiring way to think about data than thinking about it as <laughs> like, well, it's just like, yes or no. Is it working? Is it not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And look, I'm a geek. Like I, I was, you know, I was in college. I was pre-med and graphic design major, double majored for a while. Wow. Like I, like That is a I really actually, interesting combination. <laughs> it was weird. And and I'm, I'm actually pretty decent at math. So I don't I don't know what what happened to my brain, but um but I think it's it's that that's the two of, of the storytelling and the understanding the math that I think helps helps kind of make those connections. Could you share an example of what one of the like I guess the the problems rooted in a business metric, data or whatever it is, um, that your team might work on solving? Like say a page for the for the marketing website. Are you looking at, okay, we want to improve um the activation rate from this page, for example? Is that the sort of thing that you work to? I think I always try to bring it down to the core of what what brand is. Um, and for me, it's about shifting perception always. When, you, when it comes down, whatever you're doing, it's always about a human that is an animal that is making an emotional decision. Like w- science has proven over and over and over again that we do not make rational decisions based on facts, right? So you can shout facts all day at someone and they're going to be like, oh, that's right, right? That's just, we, that's not how people work. So I think starting with that understanding of a designer is that, that you're taking an irrational being who, who's going to make emotional decisions and you want to connect them with an emotional moment that helps solve an emotional problem, right? So whatever that tool is, um, that's ultimately whatever issue they're trying to solve creates an emotion out of them and they would like to fix that. So whatever we're doing, I want the team to always start from there, right? So whenever we build briefs, we build kind of a cultural landscape in first and um, have an insight from that, right? So we as people are tired and exhausted and burned out from working at home and the pandemic and, oh no, now we're looking at this thing. We might have a recession. What does that mean? People are getting, you know, what, what is the work landscape? What is a human approaching the work for? And how does that affect the way that they're going to emote and make a decision? I think that that's really, really core to everything I said. And I, I try to talk to the company a lot about that, right? Like, we're doing these initiatives. We're going to do an email campaign or this campaign or whatever. And I'm like, no, what you're doing is a campaign to affect a human to do a thing that that you think is helpful and generous to them. So that's kind of where I start. And then from there, we start to layer on the kind of perception shift, right? So if we're seeing there's a gap, maybe folks think, you know, one thing about the products and it's wrong or incorrect or not helpful to where we need to go then we start to build out a path and a story that says like you know okay like let's how do we adjust that so an example would be for for many many years people describe zapier as kind of like the duct tape of the internet right like you can start duct taping all these pieces together and make it work which you know in in early days where people were diy and scrappy putting things together and it was it was a new product that was a lovely metaphor and idea to talk about it but now automation is core to the way that companies build everything, right? And it's a it's a really sophisticated problem. Like, like Zapier can solve really sophisticated business operations um, problems. Like it's insane. So when you're talking to a company or a company's trying to figure out these issues and they go, oh, that's that company is just the duct tape of the internet. I need something that's like a high-end solution becomes a problem, right? So really kind of bending and changing that perception that folks had many years ago that no longer fits the, the product or the brand or even just the way we work anymore becomes really important. And so I always lead that into when people are like, hey, we need more activations. Like, okay, what does an activation mean? It means someone now believes in the value of your company and your products, right? It doesn't mean a click. Um, and how do you get there? And so I always approach it again from from storytelling and from from what brand actually means, which is emotion. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, let's end by talking about the future a little bit, I guess, maybe starting with with the present. But what are some of the main challenges you're facing right now as a brand studio team at Zapier? And what are some of the things you have lined up that you're going to work on to overcome them? Yeah, I think our challenges in the kind of future um, feels like an echo for for any brand team, for, for most any company. But we're a little at the beginning of what a lot of folks will probably resonate with. Um, we're really in the zero to one phase on brand in general. So like I mentioned before, there, there was no brand function at the company, right? There was no brand marketing director leading kind of brands. There was no you know brand studio. There was a few designers that working on brand things, but mostly creating kind of self-serve like templates for marketing to kind of unblock them for the things they were doing. And the leaders hadn't used the principles and the ideas of brand to kind of lead in certain ways. 
I mean, obviously it kind of fed into some of the, a lot of their decisions, but it wasn't kind of core to the culture of the company. And so as they started to realize that, that that's something that that's really important, like they've really, you know, turned a 180 and, and invested in it in amazing ways. And, and I really give kudos for them to, to learn from that. But that means that the culture is not set up for success for brand and for brand creative, right? And then change is really hard. So, you know, we have to really build up from the ground up. I'm working tirelessly day in and day out with, with my producers and with cross-functional partners, to just help them understand what we need and why. So I'm obsessed with this idea of the um, clarification curve. It's a bell curve. And you start with kind of on, on the left side of the, of the x-axis of ignorance, right? And so it's like, so the, the bottom is um, time and the top is complex and the, the y is complexity. So as you go up the bell curve, you go up in complexity. And as you go down the bell curve, you go to simplicity. So when you start at the beginning of the project, you start with ignorance, right? You don't know anything. And as you start to learn and bring in information and figure out okay, what this project is or whatever, you go up the bell curve in complexity. So now you know everything. It's super complex. But the real work happens when you continue to go down the bell curve and go from complex to simplicity. And at that time, you reach clarity, right? Which is core to being able to communicate to people. So a lot of, I think, everywhere, every company has this problem. But a lot of folks work, get up to the top of the bell curve. They're like, my work is done. They kick off a project. They hand off, you know, a brief or or whatever they do. And then they hand it to designers and we go, cool, there's a lot more work to be done to get to clarity, um, and that's tricky for folks because they thought they already did all their work because on their side, what's their role? They have done their work. Um, they give you all the all, information, all of all it, the even information, something you didn't right. ask for. <laughs> exactly. A 50 page document of all the things. Right. And so anyway, that that's, that's a, maybe like a more, you know, philosophical way to kind of express what the challenges are, I think for any brand studio, but for us specifically right now is helping to like create partnership around the process of going down that bell curve towards clarity. And then what that means for process, right? For like, you know, having a brief, what is a business brief? What is a creative brief? Why do we need those? Does it seem like busy work? Why does it seem like, busy? you know, like really educating around like what those bring to the, the project and then rounds, like how come someone can't come in and give feedback on round three? That's going to completely, you know, derail the project, like things that people just haven't quite figured out. Um, that we're kind of helping build out in the process of there. So that's the biggest thing for me is just setting up the roads and the infrastructure for the team to be able to, to do their best work. So that's like the low level. I always like to go high low, I think from fashion to, to everything, right? You always got to go high low. You can't just go all high or high, all low. So that's the low level. I think the high level is brand for this company is, can truly be effective, like it can truly like because of the landscape of of where automation is going and it's a it's a future that's being written right now right it's not it's not a thing that we're used to that everyone knows and is comfortable with it's not you know it's not like our everyday the story can be written by a company who takes the helm as a leader and has a vision for what it could be and Zapier, I think, is that company um, in so many ways. Not because not only because they kind of invented it and started this whole the whole thing, but I think the vision that they have is true to where the vision of of how people work needs to go. Right, really making work automation work for everyone. So I think the high level there is just helping show up as a brand leader, both with uh, my partner on as a director of brand marketing who we just hired and will start soon, I hope, but together kind of helping the company understand that idea. Like, why is it important to to lead with brand, lead with story, lead with vision? And then how does that disseminate, you know, the type of features we make, the type of products that we work on, the type of stories we tell, the way we show up at events, you know, every single thing it kind of um, works through. So, we have the kind of strategy and the core of the story and our, our pillars and uh, around the foundations of the brand. And I think showing how those can execute as kind of a, a futuristic, de- determining one's future as a company, as a brand, but also as kind of, again, showing up generously for culture and for, for folks to, to make the world a better place, uh, h- however that is. That's what where my passion is. That's that's where I get excited and kind of wake up every day as as a function of brand to say, like we we are a part of the way that we humans exist together, um, and we have a say in, in making that a little bit better. Assuming, of course, you have a product that does do that. Some people just right. you, you know <laughs> you don't you don't need another razor or whatever. But um, some products really can offer something new, and I, I think that that's really compelling. Wow! Yeah, I love that you're doing a lot of internal advocacy work 
for for brand and like building the brand muscle right for Zapier and yeah. helping people see the power in it and the potential to push it even further because it's really yeah. interesting for me to hear you say that you know this is a challenge to like get people on board with brand led and I'm like wow your new homepage compared to the old one it feels very brand led and so it's exciting that's that awesome. there is still to more to come yeah yeah that's and so great to hear yeah definitely and for sure the um I know I just think the new the new visuals feel very approachable was the main takeaway I I got from it is that like this feels like anyone can automate anyone can have this impact their life in this way yes uh, in comparison to like a very techie cog where you're like oh I don't know this feels like maybe I'm not going to be um you know it's going to be too complex for me to yeah. put the pieces together totally so, yeah yeah I think that What's the... it's coming through loud and clear Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, what's the, the Seth Godin quote that I love? He's, he, he said, people always ask, do, do people like me buy this? Right. And that, I use that line a lot where it's that that was the brand. That's where the push of the brand is, is to help people understand that, like, yes, people people like you, not just techie people or just whatever, can use this to, to effectively improve their their lives. And I think I think that's pretty pretty fun. Let's end by you telling us from your time as Zapier so far, what is um, a project, a moment, an impact, an insight? I don't know. What What are you most proud of from your time there so far? Oh, man. I think when I look at work, um, and so, you know, when we talk together about work, we talk about impact and effect. And, you know, when you're when you're at a company and you're at a place, you really want your work to, to matter, to mean something to the company, right? But when you leave you don't really remember that stuff. You remember the people that you did the work with. When I look back at my favorite projects, the, the ones that are the most beautiful, the most interesting, the most impactful, really the core of that story um, always goes back to the people. I always want to tell the story of how all the other people on that project really showed up in interesting ways, right? The writer did this, this designer did this. I couldn't believe, you know, the producer made this magical thing. It, it, it's That's what I remember. Um and so I think what I'm the most proud of now and, and that what I, what I really want to keep building is, is that team. Is that team that I'm going to leave one day, not soon, everyone. Um, yeah, don't worry. But one day we all, we, all, we all go somewhere else at some point, right? And you look back and that's what you remember is the, is the people and the time. So we're building a team again from the ground up and it's a really, really fantastic team. You know, um, I think that that's what I'm the most proud of right now because without the people, without those brains, none of this is possible. Not the rebrand, not the re-rebrand and not the execution moving forward. So I think the work has been great. I'm really proud of, of the actual design work and the creative work. But, you know, even before the rebrand, people saw the potential of this company that, that have joined the team. Um, and now with the rebrand, people are really seeing the potential and, and, and that's great as well. And so I think, you know, a year out, the team at Zapier that's building the brand, it's, it's going to be something that, that people talk about. And, and I'm really yeah. glad about that. And I'm excited to to watch that happen, to watch new iterations you make to the homepage, watch new things you launch. Thanks for sharing all this background on the like wild process that you had to go through <laughs> for the rebrand as well. So much useful stuff in this episode. And uh, thanks for being here. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. I really hope that this conversation that I had with Michael was even halfway as inspiring for you as it was for me. I got a lot out of this about how I can better communicate the value of design and like advocate for the time that's needed to do really great work. It's clear that Michael is playing a really important part in driving up the value of brand at Zapier and setting his team up to do that really high quality work that you need to build a great brand. And that's what I want to do as well in my work at ConvertKit. It is always interesting to hear about a rebrand process, but especially interesting when it involves such a quick change as the Zapier team had to make. So I want to say a huge thanks to Michael for sharing about the process and telling all these great stories. If you enjoyed this episode, it'd mean a lot to me if you'd head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review, or you could screenshot the podcast player, put it on your Instagram stories, share it with your friends. I don't know, this non-product side of design and tech is just not talked about as much. And through this podcast, I'm really trying to help make it more of a part of the conversation, try to get marketing design out there more. So I'd love your help in telling more people about the show. Thanks again to Webflow for supporting this season. You can check out Webflow at insidemarketingdesign.com slash Webflow. And you'll find links to follow Michael and see his work as well as check out Zapier at insidemarketingdesign.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Yeah.